Good morning. Welcome again to our online worship service here at South Suburban Christian Church. I hope you enjoyed meeting Christine Helms as much as we have enjoyed meeting her and welcoming, uh, welcoming her to our team. Um, hey, don't let her know that I told you this, but if you do me a huge favor, I'd appreciate it. Uh, drop her an email and just welcome her to South Suburban Church. Let her know that you're praying for and wishing her the best. Her email address is christine.helms at southsuburban.com. If you forget it, just go to our webpage at southsuburban.com and click on our staff and her email address will be there. Um, truly, this congregation has been amazing at welcoming our staff and encouraging us as we seek to serve with you and by you uh, for the glory of God. And we're, we're super excited that she's with us. Uh, and she joins a wonderful team and has come into a wonderful congregation. So thank you uh, for your spirit of openness, for your support, and for your love. Today, uh, we're continuing in our series, The Stories of Jesus. Where this is uh, uh, message number nine, and uh, <clears throat> we're headed into the final uh, few months of Jesus' earthly life. And today's text comes from Luke 17. So if you have your Bibles, I uh, would invite you to open to Luke the Gospel of Luke, third Gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, chapter 17, and I'm beginning in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, let's read, uh, read along together. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus! Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, we're coming up on the final months of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion and, of course, his resurrection. Today's passage is classified as happening in the last three months of Jesus' life. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, specifically over the next three weeks uh, after today, we're going to be looking at events that occurred uh, either in the last three months of his life or after next Sunday in the last week of Jesus' life. Now, as we read this morning in verse 11, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And it's there that he'll be betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, and then crucified. Here in Luke chapter 17, this is the second occasion in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus heals someone of the disease of leprosy. The first time this occurs... Uh, healing someone with leprosy, is in Luke chapter 5, where he healed one man uh, who came up to him and said to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In Luke 17 and verse 11, Luke tells us Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem 
when ten lepers meet him on this occasion. Now, if you were to take the Gospel of Luke and divide it up into sections, uh, chapter 17, verse 11, is a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Luke. If you, look at, if you have a study Bible and you were to look at your outline at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, it would more than likely uh, make that distinction. It's here that the trajectory of Jesus' ministry begins to change. He is not so much now proclaiming who he is, his messiahship, uh, seeking to do the miracles and announce the kingdom of God, his being the Son of Man, as Luke says, or the Son of God, God the Son. But now his focus and his attention is toward Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and this is important, for it's from here until the end of the Gospel of Luke where we begin to see uh, what we call the salvific power of Jesus. That is that Jesus is the one who has the power to save us from our sins, from our brokenness. Some scholars call this, this particular text the beginning of the period of persecution in Jesus' life. Now, we hear a lot about leprosy when we're talking about Jesus and healing. It's probably one of those things you might have heard, and, and whether you, you were listening to uh, a show on the History Channel or a Sunday school teacher or a preacher talking about how Jesus uh, healed people of blindness, caused the lame to walk, and healed folks of leprosy. And the interesting thing is, is that uh, even though leprosy is one of those significant diseases that Jesus heals folks of, it's not the most prolific. We see Jesus healing people of blindness. We see him causing the lame to walk. We even see Jesus healing the dead. In Luke alone, as I've already said, he only heals of leprosy twice. And yet leprosy has so captured our imagination that it often stands out as a pretty significant healing in Jesus' ministry. So what is this leprosy? Well, it's a really old disease. As a matter of fact, we have evidence physical evidence that this disease existed 4,000 years ago. That's almost at the beginning of recorded history. We've recently unearthed a mummy from India, which shows the sign of leprosy. And countless other uh, mummies in Egypt and even in Europe, where we can tell from the skeletal remains that folks suffered from this horrific disease. So I want to just take a few moments and talk about this disease, how it was understood in the time of Jesus, and how it was handled. Now, in the Bible, in many cases, any skin condition that folks had would have been called leprosy. You, you could have had acne or, or eczema, and it would have been understood by the folks of the time as leprosy. Now, a lot of these conditions could clear up over time, uh, like acne as we grow up, or would have responded to some ancient treatments that would have been commonly used. For example, uh, rubbing the mud of the Dead Sea on your skin, which folks still do that today. As a matter of fact, you can buy, quote-unquote, beauty products that is made from the mud of the Dead Sea. Other uh, rituals or, or, or healing rituals that would have been used cleansing rituals they might have been called was really to you and me nothing more than just proper hygiene or, or bathing that people would begin uh, taking better care washing themselves bathing keeping themselves clean and the skin condition that they were suffering would clear up but true leprosy 
Now, true leprosy is something that's different. In the time of Jesus, it would not have responded to any treatment because it is, in essence, a bacterial infection. In many cases, it can be in someone's body for up to 20 years before it begins to show signs of, of, of being infected by this disease. We still have it today. As a matter of fact, on any given year, about 150 folks in the United States of America are diagnosed with leprosy, or as it's called today, Hansen's disease. It is one of those bacterial infections that specifically targets the nerve endings but is most seen in skin conditions. Lesions can form on the face, on the nose, the ear, or even perhaps more commonly, as you might have seen them in photographs or pictures, on the extremities of our body, our fingers, our toes. These, uh, the, these lesions are, are not only unsightly, not only are they difficult to look at, uh, but oftentimes, uh, because of how the bacterial infection works and because it literally kills the nerve endings, the person who is suffering from it doesn't really feel anything. As a matter of fact, uh, that's probably one of the biggest complications in the disease. You just simply don't feel anymore in your extremities or on your body or on the surface of your skin. And because of that, you can injure yourself, you can damage your skin, uh, you can have parts of your body become infected, and you don't really realize it because you can't feel it. The ancients understood leprosy, and for that matter, any disease, as a result of sin in one's life. And it's not something that's just relegated to Christianity or Judaism, but to other ancient religions as well. You might have heard the term karma, which is more prevalent in Eastern religions. That is, is that uh, what goes around comes around. If you act well, uh, you'll receive uh, beautiful things or blessings from life. If, you're, if you act unjustly, if you're not fair to other people, then eventually that'll come back and impact your life as well. And specifically, in the Judeo-Christian understanding, at least the ancient Judeo-Christian understanding, that was in many cases the same thing. If you suffered from a disease, if you suffered from a physical infirmity or, or, or deformity, it was most likely a result of some sin that you had committed. Or in some cases, a sin that your parents have committed. Or grandparents or great-grandparents, even back seven generations, would have been one of the ways folks would have explained why you're struggling with disease. There's a close connection in the ancient world between the healing of the body and the forgiveness of sin and the negative impact of the body through disease or accidents or struggles or physical deformities and sin. It's not an accident that even in the history of humanity, uh, the earliest term uh, doctor was a term given to those who were most often pastors or religious teachers. As a matter of fact, it became a term that was designated toward those folks who would teach the faith. And one of the reasons for this is, is because it was people of faith, practitioners of faith, uh, pastors, if you will, religious teachers, who would spend significant amount of their time researching why physical disease and sickness and infections occurred. It's one of the oldest titles for pastors, and as generations have gone on, the partnership between pastors and physicians was important 
and the healing process due to the connection between these two understandings of physical sickness and spiritual sickness, between physical wholeness and health and spiritual wholeness and health. It's not an accident that the Bible refers to Jesus and to God himself as, quote, the great physician. So, with regard to these lepers, with regard to these ten men who have now come and confronted Jesus, they're suffering from something that is more than just a physical infirmity. It's more than just a disease that they have to carry around in their body. For them, in their context, in that day, it would have also been a diagnosis of moral and ethical sin. Someone who was not trustworthy. Someone who was deserving of being cast out of the community. And that's how the culture treated them. To be diagnosed with leprosy wasn't just a prediction of the fate of your physical body. It was an excommunication, if you will, from your neighborhood, from your places of worship, in this case your synagogue, and even your family. It was the one disease that even parents would turn their back on their children in the times of Christ. So imagine for these ten men, your support system, the people who loved you, the folks that you loved, were all cut off from you, forcing these outcasts to either go it alone or find some community, some support, some consolation from fellow, fellow sufferers of the same disease. This is probably why the ten lepers are together. They had no one else to go to. They had no one else to turn to. They only had themselves, those who had been thrown out, those who were outcasts to turn to in this time of great uncertainty, in this time of loneliness, in this time of doubt, and in some cases in this time of brokenness. Even in this group, it would realign the social and societal contracts that hold people together that so often we don't really pay much attention to, even in our own lives. We know that one of them was a Samaritan of these ten men, an outcast already among the Jews, somebody who was hated by the Jewish people simply because of where he was born, how he was raised, which has a long history that dates back way into the time uh, of the Jewish nation in the Old Testament when the Assyrian Empire conquered the northern nation of Israel. We presume that the other nine are Jews, but the text doesn't specifically say, but I think it's a safe bet. But here, in this moment, all of them, under the curse of leprosy, have overwritten the original ways folks organize themselves, and they've discovered a new way, a new unity, as they shared the same curse of their disease of the judgment of their moral and ethical brokenness. Isn't it interesting how rejection and persecution can realign our societal contracts? <laughs> the rules that bind us together? Years ago in another congregation that I served, we had a young woman who was a part of our congregation. She was raised in a middle-class family with parents who took her to church she was, um, in all perspectives, growing up a normal, healthy, happy, middle American kind of life. 
until a significant life event changed everything for her. And in the midst of that difficult life event, she turned to illegal drugs. And because of that, she fell into prostitution. Now, I've known folks who have worked with prostitutes in urban areas, in cities. And all of those women who find themselves in that place in their life, they have their own story. They come from different ethnic backgrounds. They come from different societal backgrounds, social backgrounds. Some of them are white. Some of them are people of color. color. Some of them are poor. Some of them uh, are rich. Some have dropped out of school, while others have college degrees. Many have drug abuse issues, but some of them don't. They have never had a history of illegal drugs. But to each other, within that community of women, those distinctions that are so important to many of us aren't important to them. It doesn't mean anything to them. For no matter where they came from, in their lot in life at that particular moment, they are people who are being objectified. They are abused. They are ridiculed. They are rejected. They are bought and sold like property. A new modern-day slavery whose masters cross racial and ethnic lines. And within their own communities, among each other, they find acceptance because no one else will love them. In many ways, that's how these lepers were. And what hurts me as I hear these lepers cry out to Jesus is that they have already conceded that they are without hope. Now, why would I say that? Well, look with me at the text today. Beginning in verse 13, they cry out, Have mercy on us. Mercy. Not receiving what one rightly deserves. That's what mercy means. Grace. Receiving what one does not deserve. They don't say, Jesus, Master, show us your grace. That is, remove from us that which we do not deserve. That's not what they ask for. They ask for mercy. Jesus, Master, remove from us that which we believe we rightfully deserve. Can you hear the pain in their cry? Can you hear the anguish in their words? Can you hear the struggle and how they phrase their condition to this Jesus, their only hope? <laughs> you know, I think that it's here that we begin to see what it looks like to be a peacemaker. I wonder if a better question here is not why were these men suffering with leprosy, but why wasn't everyone else suffering from leprosy too? You see, just so we don't miss it, the point here is that these men have fallen so low that they assume that the curse that they have of leprosy was deserved. They assume 
that because of who they are or where they come from or what they've done, they assume that God has rightfully thrown them to the side and that the culture, their society, has also appropriately and correctly kicked them out of the community. Now, if that doesn't cause your heart to hurt a little, I don't know what will. To be able to gaze into the hearts of other people and sense and see the hopelessness hopelessness that they struggle with, even if it isn't true or factual. And here's where I'm really humbled, reading this story. The curse of leprosy is that you can't feel the damaging effect of the disease. Maybe the truth is, we all have a spiritual leprosy that we're not even aware of. That we can't feel the damaging effect of how we live and what our assumptions are. That we're numb to the weeping of our own wounds, the atrophying of our own muscles, the slow process of bacteria that literally eats our bodies while we're alive. To what extent does the brokenness of our own society reflect our numbness? We don't even know we're sick. We're numb to the damage of prejudice. Contempt for other human beings because of their political parties, their ethnicity, their country of origin, their gender, or even their education. I recently read a comment by a pastor who serves in a national ministry who said that part of the problem with the world was that folks disagreed with him. And the reason they disagreed with him was because he was more educated than they were. (laughs) Talk about not understanding your own self. Talk about our own spiritual numbness. And we can stand and look down upon other people not knowing their story, not knowing where they've been, and not being able to see that that could be us in that same situation if things had been different in our own childhood or in our own life or in our own opportunities. Like the lepers, we become numb to our own arrogance, our own foolishness, our own need for grace and mercy. So Jesus tells them, go, show yourselves to the priests (laughs) Well, that statement may actually sound kind of strange for for folks hearing that the first time. Why on earth would you go show yourself to a priest if you've been healed of a disease or a bodily infirmity or, or or, or, or being deformed? But Jesus' statement is perfectly in accord with the law of Moses. You might want to write this down. Go back and look at Leviticus chapter 14. It's in the Old Testament. Verses 2 through 32. There's a whole discussion there about what one should do when one is diagnosed with leprosy and when one is healed from leprosy. These priests, 
Jesus admits as he sends these ten men to the priests. These folks who are the intermediaries between God and his people would not only declare them healed, but they would also restore these ten men to their proper place in the community. These priests, because of their healing, would have declared these men forgiven and blessed again by God. These priests would have declared that the evidence of their healing speaks not only to the new chance they have in their bodies, but it is a declaration by God that they are again God's people. Now, look with me at verse 14. At the very end of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. They weren't standing there, and after Jesus declared they're going to be healed and go to the priest and show you that, they didn't look down and and see that they were healed and then went to the priest. No, the text is quite clear. They had to walk in their faith. They had to walk in their knowledge that what Jesus said would come to pass. Not had come to pass, but would come to pass i'm not really sure if many of us could do that we're we're a proof loving people aren't we we're not sure we can fully trust anyone these days i remember when i used to work in law enforcement i've seen lots of people released from jail without bond you know they didn't they didn't have to have a post a bond in order to be released or or folks whose charges had been dropped i can't tell you how many folks i saw as their stuff was returned to them and they were escorted to the door of the jail or the police department and sent on their way and i would say that in almost every single case those folks that had just been released they'd take a step or two and then they'd stop and they'd turn around and they'd look back it was almost as if their faces were crying out to me, seriously, I'm free to go? And I bet I said hundreds of times, you're good to go. And then I'd often add something like, take this the way I mean it, I hope I never see you again. (laughs) These lepers are still suffering with their disfigurement. These lepers are still struggling with the inability to walk because of lost digits on their feet. And yet they turn and make their way toward the temple, their feet still clubbed, their toes still absent, the rags of their clothes still hanging off their half-eaten limbs. Impossible, it might seem, that anything good can come in this moment. And in that first step, in what seems like an impossible future, they begin to breathe deeply. Their legs grow stronger. Feeling begins to return to their face and to their hands, and they discover that they're healed, that they're cleansed, and in their minds that they're forgiven. And of the ten, nine of them continue to follow Jesus' directions. They apparently kept walking 
We assume that they did what Jesus told them to do. They went and showed themselves to the priests. They enjoyed uh, the restoration back to their community and to their families and to their friends. We won't really ever know what happened to them. The Scriptures don't say. We can only guess or surmise. But we know this, one of them, (laughs) when he saw he was healed, he turned back toward Jesus, a Samaritan. Maybe the old ways of division were now back in force, you see. Maybe as the Jews saw that their Samaritan compatriot was also healed, the old ways of dividing themselves came back and and they said, well, he, he used to be one of us. We used to be fellow lepers, but now we're all healed and he's still a Samaritan, so forget about him. Maybe because they were no longer suffering. Maybe because they had been restored to their place in the community, they just didn't simply care anymore. But isn't it interesting how when we experience a new lease on life, it is so easy to begin to fall back into the old constructs of society, of our division, and of our brokenness. But not with the Samaritan. He comes back to Jesus, and he falls down, praising God. He thanks him. Now, this passage is often understood by pastors and teachers and Christians as the blessing of gratitude. That's important for us to be grateful for the things that we receive. Well, I'm sure that's a good enough explanation. And if one were to preach a sermon or to teach a lesson on that, it would be perfectly appropriate, I suppose. But I don't think it goes deeply enough. I think it just scratches the surface to assume that this text is merely about gratitude. Why do I think that? Well, I don't think that the other nine lepers who have been healed are saying, well, God, it's about time you healed me. I don't think that was their heart at all. No, I think what was different was that the Samaritan recognized who Jesus was. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17 and 18, if you follow along with me. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner there it is return and give praise to God except this foreigner You see, I think what's happening here is that Jesus was claiming His rightful authority as the Son of God and God the Son. If if you put your finger there and hold it at Luke chapter 17 and flip over to Luke chapter 5 and reading in verses 17 through 26. Now, let me summarize quickly because I I don't want to spend time reading the whole uh, uh, text Somebody has just ripped the roof off of a house that Jesus is in teaching, and they've lowered a paralyzed man down through the roof, and Jesus tells this paralyzed man, again, 
somebody suffering from physical infirmity and therefore, according to the culture of the time, guilty of manifold sins, Jesus says to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Well, there's some Pharisees in the room, and they're furious because who can forgive sins but God alone? Now look at verse 20 with me, and let's read together. And when Jesus saw their faith, this is the man being lowered down, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now let me pause here. In some ways, that's a rhetorical question, because the answer is obvious to everyone. Because the answer is, neither. No one can say, your sins are forgiven. And no one can say to a paralyzed man, rise and walk. Verse 24, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. You see, if you want to see this story of the ten lepers as an admonition that we should be more grateful, that's fine. But in my opinion, it only scratches the surface. You see, for me, the story is about the hopelessness of the human condition and the revelation of who Jesus is. Those closest to God the people of God themselves did not recognize who Jesus was. But this foreigner who experienced rejection and persecution twice in his life, once because he was born a Samaritan and again because he was a leper, this man, he knew who his Redeemer was. He recognized the face of God. He knew he was a broken vessel. And he knew to whom he needed to go. In just a moment, our praise team is going to lead us in a ministry of song. I pray that you'll listen to their lyrics, to the words, that they'll speak to your heart as we gaze into the brokenness of our own life and ask ourselves this question, to whom can we go? After they sing, I'm going to come back to you. So please stay as together we look toward Jesus. And that leper looked into the eyes of his Savior and he could see his love. And as Jesus gazed at this one leper who knew who he was, he said to him in verse 19, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that phrase, your faith, it literally means faith in something other than oneself. Faith in something outside of ourselves. 
faith in someone else. You see what Jesus is saying here is because your faith was in me, because you saw who I am, because you heard the voice of your God who loves you and is about to lay his life down for you, because of that faith, you are made whole. Is that in your heart today? If I were to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, your Lord and Savior, would you say yes? And if you have said yes to this day, if you have gazed into the face of Christ and seen his love for you in his eyes, will you let us know? Will you click on the button that you are committing your life to Jesus Christ today? Fill that form out so that we can connect with you and support you and encourage you. If you're watching on one of our other platforms or listening to us on a podcast, would you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com so that we can join with you praising God and declaring who Jesus is. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, for all of us, as we begin our life anew, having been recipients of your written word and preparing ourselves to receive the living word and the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation of your table oh god strengthen us for you are our redeemer you are our healer you are the great physician in jesus name amen